Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Millennium Live podcast series. It's, it's great to be here. My name's Connor Tui, and as producer of Millennium Live, I'm happy to be chatting with a, a number of different solution providers. But uh, today, we're chatting with a very unique one, and uh, one that is really transforming the the HR industry and is on a mission to making work better every day. So I'm I'm happy to have Greg Harris. He's the CEO of Quantum Workplace. Greg, nice to have you here on the podcast. Connor, appreciate that. Uh, eager to talk. Of course. So what I know of of Quantum, you know, you are an HR tech technology provider. You know, you're going to be attending a Millennium Alliance Assembly uh, this year. And, you know, you, you equip workplaces with the smartest talent solutions so that they can pretty much grow and succeed and 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 go on to uh, become a better organization. So yeah. you know, to kick to kick things off and in, in my questions to you, you know, talking about current trends in HR and, and kind of the buzzwords, what you're hearing, we're hearing all about, you know, quiet quitting and performance paranoia. You know, they're becoming the trends to start off 2023. So I'd like to just kind of kick things off by hearing your take on the current trends in HR and how they're, you know, you know, how they're connecting with that whole employee experience that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, that's that's funny. Even those two phrases, those two words <laughs> are uh, get, get me fired up a little bit already. Right. Right. At the start of the, the conversation, <laughs> I somehow and this isn't an HR thing. This is a management science thing. It's my understanding. It's my belief that we have a way of making sure that there are no new ideas under the sun, that we're, we just recycle other phenomena uh, and give them new language. The idea of quiet quitting is the concept that, you know, maybe we'll pull back a little bit on my contribution for two decades now. The HR field has been getting smarter and more scientific about the measurement and the movement of this thing called employee engagement. And all of a sudden in the tightest labor market we've ever had and in a time where a handful of social media influencers started slamming the idea of engagement, the idea probably more than anything of discretionary effort. Like, hey, like we've always had disengagement. We've always had people who are going to put their work on autopilot give as absolute little as it takes to stay under the radar, not get noticed, to not get fired. But we actually, for whatever reason, in the last six months, we had a handful of social media influences that wanted to try to pour some fuel on that flame and make it sound cool. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the only thing that's different. We've always had quiet quitting. We've just never actually given it the, uh, the status that it might be a cool thing. I assure you, it, it'll be short-lived if it's not already done and over. It was a relic, most likely, of the fact that we had such a tight labor market. We had employers that were hoarding talent, recruiting talent, um, because we had we had lower workforce participation than we'd had due to uh, social change due to pandemic. So the idea of quiet quitting is done and it and it's gone or the idea of it being a cool thing is done and gone yeah. we will have quiet quitting going forward the, the other term you use product or uh, performance, performance paranoia i i yeah. 
I would say as long as we've had humans, we've had performance paranoia. My guess is back in, you know, 2000 years ago when the <laughs> Greeks were starting the Olympics, that there were some runners and some athletes that were paranoid about not being able to measure up, not being able to demonstrate their performance in the way that they wanted to, you know, in CEO circles, you hear the term or in senior leader circles, you hear the term imposter syndrome, which is really just the high yeah. level of performance anxiety or performance paranoia. Do I not, not only do I think that I'm performing at the level that I need to, but do I, am I going to do anything to make it look like I'm performing at a higher level? This is again, it, this is an idea. We used to make jokes. We've made movies about it. There's a movie called office space from 20 years ago. That was kind of yeah. had all <laughs> kinds of illustrations of this. So it's a cool terminology for an old practice of busy work. And, and, it, and it happens when we have new waves of technology or new waves of social change. Work from home did not change. It did not invent per, uh, performance paranoia. We had it 10 years ago. HR was talking about the distraction that we all have with phones and the distraction we had with online gaming. And, you know, oh, I can't believe right. it. Did you know that 37% of employees are spending four hours of their working hours playing video games online? You know, <laughs> there have always been things that have distracted us. We just find new language to, to, to call it out. The job of the manager is the same today as it was five years ago, as it was 50 years ago. How do I inspire my team? How do I motivate my team? How do I cast a vision of the future? that allows my team, the people on my team to enlist and to want to, uh, to give it their all. Yeah, I totally agree with you too. And, and here's some old adage that uh, employee success drives business success. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe there's some still figuring out that equation, but um, I want to get into that type of workplace culture and what that means. And, you know, why should workplace culture and and priorities such as retaining top talent, you know, be on top of mind for organizations right now. And maybe just take even a step back, what is your definition of workplace culture? And well, you know, what is it and and you know what isn't it? Yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a good starting base question. Culture is how work gets done. It's the human operating system of how decisions get made, how people get hired, how people get fired, how people get promoted, how people get recognized for great work. How do we communicate? How do we measure performance or all the constructs? A lot of times when we think about culture, when the business media talks about culture, they talk about ping pong tables, they talk about free lunches, they talk about yeah. work flexibility. Those are artifacts of culture. Those are elements of culture. They are not fundamental building blocks of culture. They are symbols of culture. Culture is the operating system. It's the decision-making operating system of a company. And it's critical because it is the most sustainable source of competitive advantage in a service-based economy. And this is different in the last 30 years than it was 100 years ago, where access to capital, where access to land, where very hard physical assets might have played a larger role in a company's competitive advantage in a service economy where our ability to attract and retain creative, creative people, uh, uh, hardworking people is the name of the game, whether you are a bank, a real estate firm, a technology firm, an industrial manufacturer. So how we, and, and culture is in, again, culture is not new. Culture has been around as long as, you know, groups of humans have been forming. We have a whole field in academia uh, called anthropology that studies the cultures of 
of humans as they relate on the earth and in, in the fact that we are putting people together in organizations called corporations is, is no different. So humans start to behave like one another. They start to look and act like one another and start to operate in a certain way when they're formed together. And that's every company has a culture. Not every company has the tools in place or the mentality in place to actually proactively impact that culture. And that's probably the biggest change that, has, that most leaders, not a fraction of leaders uh, anymore, have actually acknowledged. The fact that we, our company has a culture, but we are making a decision that we want to proactively shape that culture. That is the strategic imperative that more and more industries, more and more companies are accepting. Maybe expand a little bit more on, on that you know, for our audience, because it, when you're, you know, as an employee, you're always looking for good culture. <laughs> That's yeah. what maybe some of the top of mind. So, you know, what's so important about culture and as it pertains to this employee experience? Yeah. I, the first thing I'd say there, and I like that, the spirit of that question, because culture is more descriptive than it is qualitative. You know, I, I challenge people that say has a good culture, has a bad culture. What is good culture? Because you could take two people, you know, if, if, if you have a, a field of 50 MBAs, you know, Ivy League MBAs that are all applying for a job at Goldman Sachs, culture, you know, the, the cultural attributes of that organization are going to be different. That's going to be right. really attractive to a handful of people. It is going to be the worst, most, most pressure filled culture for others. So so thinking about culture is more descriptive than it is evaluative. And so, so good culture, bad culture is less about, it, it's more about matching individual attributes, what individual goals are. How does a company hire people? How do they make decisions? How do they recognize great work? And does that match in individuals? If, if a company has a culture where, you know, they have a cutthroat, super, quantitative measurement of individual performance. Everybody has a stack ranking every single month of what their performance is. That's really exciting for some people, and that can absolutely be paralyzing for others. So great cultures are where a company figures out what their core values are. What are the things that are most important? What are the things that we want to always be the case 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future? And how do we attract people that share? How do we, we need diversity. We need innovation. We need creative thinking. And to do that, we have to have a bunch of different types of mentalities, different types, different backgrounds of, of people. But how do we have that diversity that are all that are going to share though, that three or four or five core values. When those two things come together, that's when a culture, a cultural fabric starts forming and and exciting things start happening. Well, that's well said. I, I totally, uh, I totally can relate to that. You know, it just even at Millennium, we have a we have a pretty good culture, as we say. But you know, the there's similar similarities in age and goals and and just like mindedness. So yeah. that's well said. I want to jump into uh, into something uh, that we're talking about on the regular, it seems, which is that remote and hybrid work. That's, you know, it's becoming more commonplace in, you know, since the pandemic, but I think many organizations are kind of still figuring that out, that sweet spot of how to adapt this type of culture. And, you know, you're, you're seeing more and more in the news, you know, it's, the latest one was Starbucks just announced that they're yeah, definitely returning to the office. It's, it follows Disney and Twitter and Apple, and there's a lot of big companies doing it. 
you know, I want to hear your take on all of this. And I'm curious to what you have, what you think about it, you know, and your advice that you would give to leaders in this area trying to navigate this. Yeah, this is tricky. This has been top of mind for so many, not just HR leaders, but so many C-suite leaders for the last two and a half, last three years. And I try to remind the the customers that we talk to and the community that we talk to that more important than where our people are working is how are we casting vision? How are we defining what good looks like, what success looks like? Again, we are at our core an employee success platform. That means we're really good. We have digital tools that help companies measure voice of the employee, collect voice of the employee, get really smart about the thoughts and the feelings of their people. That's one side. And how do they visualize, manage, and drive performance? That's why we call it employee success. Employee success is voice of the employee and its behavior, its perception and behavior together. But the performance side of that equation is about knowing for every team, knowing for every individual, what does good look like? What does great look like? Uh, And if that is hard to do for a job category. If it's hard to think about for an individual, where they're working all of a sudden becomes important because there is some weird comfort. I feel it uh, as a middle-aged leader that's been working and in the workplace for 20, 25 years, there is something comfortable about being side by side and knowing and seeing through my peripherals that people are grinding just as hard as I am. Doesn't mean they are, but it, there's something comfortable about together. So I understand, I can empathize with the gravity towards wanting to be together, but I caution people that make that the immediate solution. We do have a productivity problem on our hands. We have companies, we have an industry, we have an economy that is starting to overheat, that started to overheat, and we're trying to mm-hmm. actually engineer a slight pullback, which means the job market is going to soften up a little bit. Our you know, the revenue growth, the expansion that we've been experiencing now, we're what, 15, 16 years into this economic expansion, that's going to slow down a little bit. And as that happens, all of that hiring that we've done, especially in the last three years, I talked earlier about hoarding talent, we've been paying more, we've been hiring more aggressively, we have been, because we've been growing, we have been hiring for next year's growth, not just this year's growth. Once we've done that, once we have a couple years of doing that, it starts feeling like our productivity. Productivity is simply revenue divided by headcount. And those numbers start looking not as great. So, so we're seeing that it's almost coincidental that it happens to be at a time where 50% or X percent of our people are working from home. But my challenge to leaders is to not assume that productivity, that the main variable in productivity is where they are working. Could be an issue, could be a factor, but doesn't have to be the first thing that we that we point to. There are economic reasons why we are why are why productivity is pulling back a little bit. And in then leadership teams and managers need to ask themselves: Are we doing everything we can to visualize what performance, what great performance looks like, to track that performance, to communicate, to reward, to recognize that performance? If we have all of those check boxes in place, then we can start thinking about location, about the tools that people have, but it shouldn't be the first, it, it, it's probably the most comfortable thing. It's it's kind of the, the straw person, the straw man to kind of blame when productivity starts to roll over a little bit, but it, 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 it may not be the most important variable. Yeah, I agree with you. And I want to jump to another 
topic that you're definitely going to find in the news pretty much every day so far. I've been seeing just a lot of organizations that are either have been laying off employees or uh, initiating hiring freezers or planning to do so. Uh, just you know, the latest one, Goldman at Goldman Sachs, laying off 3,200, which is about seven percent of their their workforce. And you're seeing this trend again. Follow other organizations do the same. So, you know. Why do and you mentioned you already kind of prefaced this. Why you know why do leaders still need to think about you know retaining that top yeah. talent retention and engagement? Yeah, you said it right there. You answered the question. Why do they have to? Why do they have to think <laughs> about retaining top talent? I mean, we have to put the some of the layoffs, some of the headlines and layoffs of, uh, in perspective, though. I mean, Facebook goes from fifty thousand to eighty thousand people in two and a half years. And then they announce that they're laying off like 16,000 people. They are going back to a headcount that they were at a year ago. That is, that's right size. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the pain that those 15,000 people and the uncertainty that they're going through. But it's really, it, it's really shedding back, turning back a little bit of that, or just a fraction of growth that they've had in a short period of time. And a lot of those people are getting picked up by other. I mean, the services sector, the hospitality, manufacturing is booming. Right now, I was in a hotel this weekend, and and the, the hotel was everybody was scurrying around, and everybody was frustrated. All the, the staff were frustrated because you could tell that they did not have enough people to deliver. There are services uh, in the economy that do not have enough people. So, to operate our businesses, to continue achieving our goals, whether goal is growth, whether goal is profitability, whatever it is, we have to be able to keep the people that are that we need we need the most. Now, maybe. Maybe you don't need to, you know, spread that peanut butter out across all of, you know, you, you could think differently about retention about all people, but it's still, you still know that in every organization, you have A players, you have B players, and your A and B player, maybe you have C, uh, I'm thankful I don't, <laughs> but you need to know who your A's and your B's are, and you need to make sure that you have process people, relationships in place that keeps your A's and your B's because it hurts. They're, you know, the, they go to the competitor and you're going to, you're going to feel it. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, kind of wrapping, uh, this up is, is what, what leaders need to have their eyes on, you know, to make sure that they are, they're retaining top talent and that they're creating a, you know, a, a great workplace experience. Yeah, I think it comes back to the culture piece that we described just uh, just mm -hmm. just a few minutes ago. If people want their work to matter, the vision, the mission of an organization, they want their they want to be able to contribute to an organization in a way that increases their fulfillment in life, their actualization in life. That those are cultural components. Those are things that that managers, that senior leaders can really create value on and, and, and to drive culture to, to, to maintain retention. That's the how, that's the what in what managers can do to focus on to, to create a culture of, you know, we talk sometimes about the power balance in organizations. Oh, the economy is getting soft. So all the power is going back to the organization. I think it's the wrong question. This is always out of balance between employee, uh, employee power and, and, and employer power, the, the better we are at focusing on this overall umbrella, 
of employee success, the better everybody wins. <laughs> you know, employee success is, are you creating careers that people love, that people are proud of, that people are willing to advocate for and recommend their friends to work for? Are you creating, helping people create careers that are helping them grow the business and re recommend the product or the service? Because that is in perfect alignment with the organization, with the, with the corporation. So the more we focus on employee success, um, the more we don't have to worry about, the less we have to worry about who has power, who doesn't have power in that, in that constant balance. Yeah, and, and Greg, I mean, this has been such a fun conversation. Learning how to build an engaging culture is, is so important for an organization. And as you, as you said, you know, leaders need to focus on what matters. And your employees do their best work with, you know, being compensated and, and having that recognition. So how does quantum figure out into all this? And, you know, I, I want to give you, you guys a bit of a shout. I know we've had such a cool uh, discussion about all these hot topics and I kind of want to get, you know, the, uh, you know, where leaders can get started and, and how quantum can help and assist and have solutions and, and helping with them take yeah. the reins of their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. The <laughs> listening is, is job number one. Mm -hmm. Listening, the, whether it's HR, whether it's senior leadership team, is all managers, our ability to listen to our people is step number one. You know, 20 years ago, that meant running a survey every, you know, a big 50 question survey every single year. Still a very important measurement device, but employee listening today is much more continuous. It's taking the learnings of a big census type survey like that, and it's, it's, it's continually figuring out what are people that are leaving the organization saying and why? What are, what are people saying at the 30-day mark, the 60-day mark, the 90-day mark? What are, we learning, what are we learning throughout the year about different strategic initiatives and how employees and change initiatives, how employees are, the, the voice of the, you know, the collective intelligence of all people is smarter than any single person or small team. Because of that, we have to have, and digitally, because our employees are spread out all across the world right now in different places, we need these digital tools that are keeping the finger on the pulse of that. Uh, so that's a, that's a technology product. And Quantum Workplace has that. We've had that for 19 years, almost 20 years now, and we are leading the industry in that. It was probably seven or eight years ago where we said just measuring and managing voice of the employee is a big part of the equation. It's the first part of the equation. The principles that are actually driving engagement, the, the how-to, you know, if, if we think about organizational fitness, the same thing we think about individual fitness, we can get fit by uh, getting on the scale, recognizing how unfit we are, and then going to the gym and doing some diet and exercise to help us get fit. Voice of the employee is the scale. It's how are we doing? Where is their pain? How, what is our level? It's measuring the level of fitness performance measures, things about like social employee recognition, goal setting, um, digital one-on-ones to make sure we're crystallizing the relationships between employees and managers. That's the diet and the exercise. Those two things together, voice of the employee, behavioral employee performance tools make an absolute bulletproof uh, technology stack that's helping uh, leadership teams get very proactive about culture. Well, 
thank you for that and and just a awesome chat greg harris thank you so much for joining millennium live and and talking about quantum and and this conversation centered around culture and employee success it's it's great to hear from you and uh excited to uh to talk in the future it's been a pleasure looking forward to working together this year